feel so inclined. Bring your tired, bring your shame, bring your guilt, bring your pain. Don't you know it's not your name? You will always be much more to me. Every time I fall, there'll be those who will call me a mistake. But that's okay, cause I hear a voice and he calls me redeemed. When others say I'll never be enough, greater is the one living inside of me than he who is living in the world. In the Take a minute and greet your neighbor. Welcome here this morning.
Aren't you glad to be here this morning? What a great day it is here. We're so thankful that you're here. This time, would you take the friendship folders and please pass the friendship folders down the aisle? And uh, just a few announcements as you're doing that this morning. We have, uh, there's some, last week we had a great movie night, Fireproof. And that uh, was a fantastic, fantastic time for uh, couples as we got out and we ran out of theater. And it was a fantastic night for, uh, for our church, Fireproof. And now we're going to continue on with the fireproof. If you'd like to get into a small group, we're starting some life groups. Uh, this is a short six-week commitment. Uh, it's just a short-term commitment. And so if you'd like to jump into a life group, please stop outside in the foyer. You'll see a table out there or also to the Welcome Center and say, how can I get involved in one of those life groups? And so this will be the topic of discussion for those. This will be fireproof is the, uh, is the topic of discussion, how to fireproof your marriage. And so um, we want to encourage you to check that out. And then we have also today, after the service, after this service, we have a membership meeting, 101, and that will meet downstairs in the Canopy Kids room. And uh, that's the big room downstairs. So you go down, down the stairwell, and uh, somebody will point you to where that is downstairs. We'll have a brief lunch and then a, uh, a meeting for, to help you understand membership. So that's today. Can you believe that Easter is right around the corner? You know, it's like uh, we just, you know, we haven't had enough snow yet to think about Easter, right? But uh, it's so beautiful outside today. Easter, Eyes of Faith on Thursday and Good Friday. We're going to have an, an incredible two nights here where our choir is going to lead us and, uh, and get us thinking about the, the things of God, thinking about the eyes of the beholders, the, the people who saw Jesus firsthand. And so as, uh, as we go and look at Christmas through the eyes, Christmas, Easter through the eyes of faith, uh, we want to encourage you to be here. That's Thursday and Good Friday, March 24th and 25th. And then I'd like to encourage you to also bring somebody. You know, start to think now. As, you, as you're thinking out, you know, it's only five or six weeks away. But begin to think, who can I invite to this Thursday or Good Friday? Who can I invite to Easter services? Uh, 
we're going to have a, a, an, an exciting weekend here for Easter. And so we're starting to plan that. We want you to be a part of that. And so just begin to pray. Pray that God will move mightily. <clears throat> and then today, I'd like to uh, just give you a little missionary report back. Uh, you know, we're thankful for all the, we've raised the $80,000 to help the, the missionaries. And, and this is one of them. This is the Frisch family, Ron Frisch. He was actually a youth pastor in the area up here in Somerset. Uh, and we became good friends back whenever I was in youth ministry. And, and we would get together and have lunch from time to time. And, and now he's out in Spain. He's a missionary in Spain. So we're supporting him. And uh, I thought, I asked him to send us a video. And so he sent us a video to give you a little report back this morning. Hey, Pastor Ken in Crossroads Church. This is Ron Frisch here, your ministry partner in Madrid, Spain. I just wanted to say hello and spend a few minutes updating you on what's happening here. Um, there have been so many incredible things uh, that we've witnessed um, God do over the last year and a half um, in our time here. Our primary role uh, here in Spain is at an international Christian school where I serve as the chaplain. So it's kind of like being a youth pastor to the students here. Many of our students come from solid Christian families, uh, but just like in the U.S., um, it doesn't mean that they don't struggle with their faith. And so we are here just pouring into them, um, hopefully encouraging them in their faith and walking with them through some of life's most difficult choices. Um, I could tell you a lot of changed life stories, um, but I thought I'd pick uh, one that just really stands out to me. Um, one of our students who's an upperclassman this year, um, when we first arrived in country, was really struggling um, in life and in his faith. And he was involved in substance abuse and cutting himself and um, even suicidal at one point. And we have seen God just absolutely uh, transform his life. And it's hard to believe um, that it's the same student um, that we first met uh, when we arrived here in Spain. And it just shows the power of the gospel at work um, in lives. And we know that uh, those life change stories um, are propelled by people um, in churches like yours that are praying for us and uh, asking God's Holy Spirit to work. And so we want to thank you um, for your partnership, your involvement with us, for your continual prayers, uh, for your financial uh, gifts that help us um, live here and serve here. Thank you so much for your partnership. We love you guys. Um, can't wait to visit with you in person the next time um, that we're in the States. Just continue um, serving God and being faithful to Him and the vision that God has for you and for the church there. We love you. God bless. Bye-bye. All right, so we just want to say thank you for your support. Thank you for uh, plugging in and supporting those missionaries as, as you've done and uh, know that you are taking part in changing lives uh, around the world. So uh, this morning, let's receive our morning offering as our ushers come. And uh, I'd like to encourage you, if you're a guest here today, feel free to let that offering pass you by. This is for our church family as, uh, as they give unto the Lord this morning and are growing in the, in the grace of giving. So. Uh, let's, uh, let's respond to the Lord this morning in prayer, shall we? Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come before you and we just thank you for all that you are. You are a wonderful God. Lord, I, I'm so thankful for how that you provided for all of us. And as, uh, as you have provided for us, we now come back to where we, we give to you. We return a portion of what you've given to us. And it's with great joy and great pleasure this morning that we, that we pause and we say thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for 
giving us eternal life. Thank you for all that you've provided. And uh, Father, we just thank you for who you are. In your name we pray. Amen.
What's love got to do with it? That's uh, what we've been talking about for the start of last Sunday. We're going to be talking about it for the next few weeks. Uh, love is a powerful thing. And I asked one of our young adults, I said, uh, you know, I'm, I said, we're going to be doing a series on what's love got to do with it. And he just responded, he goes, everything, everything. Love has everything to do with it. And so when you're thinking about the, all your relationships, you know, uh, you're thinking about a dating relationship. If you're single and you're, you're in a dating relationship, what's love got to do with it? Everything. Uh, if you're thinking about a, uh, your marriage relationship, you've, you're married, uh, what's love got to do with that? Oh, you know everything, okay? And you, when you think about parenting, think about your children. Uh, love's got everything to do with that. Uh, love, love is so important. It's one of the, the greatest characteristics that we could develop. Um, 1 Corinthians 13 says the greatest of these is love. And so out of everything that we can develop in our life, love is one of the most important things that we can develop. And uh, we, we started out last week talking about how God loves you unconditionally. He loves you without any strings attached. And I think that is one of the hardest concepts for us to comprehend because nobody loves us that way. People in, in general love us with some sort of condition, some sort of string attached. But when you think about how God loves you, He loves you when you screw up. He loves you when you do well. He loves you on both sides of the, on both ends of the spectrum. And so when you start thinking about that, that's the kind of love that you are loved by God. Now that's how I want to start to love other people. But we typically don't go there, do we? We typically go down the route of, well, I love you as long as, or I'll love you if, or I love you as long as you don't make me mad. Okay, those type of things. And so love is, love is an interesting thing. And this morning, I'd like to direct our attention to this, that, that many of us are love-challenged. Do you ever think about that? You know, love-challenged. Um, I think everybody, at one time or another, has been love-challenged. And if you love somebody, your love will be challenged. Uh, if you love somebody, anybody, there is a challenge that comes to your love. Because with, with God, He loves me, and I challenge His love all the time. Because I'm fallen because I make mistakes, because I do the things that displease Him from time to time, right? So my love, God's love is challenged, but God's love always wins. It always wins. It always overcomes. And so now think about your life, the relationships, whatever relationship you're in, whether you're single, married, wherever you're at in the spectrum, um, those relationships are challenged by other people's actions. They're challenged by how people treat you, how they mistreat you, how they neglect you. And so that's, that is the challenge. <clears throat> Today we're going to look at a love story from the book of Ruth. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and head over there to the book of Ruth. <clears throat> and the book of Ruth is really a powerful love story. Um, I, I love whenever you're reading the Bible because the Bible gives you not just the good stories. It gives you the good and the bad of the story. Okay? And these are not just stories. These are, this is real life history. This actually happened. And so the, the story about the, the book of Ruth, the history here that we see, of a love story that God gives us in His Word. And I think we can learn a lot about love from the book of Ruth this morning. But today we're going to begin by looking at the challenges of love. Because all love will be challenged. And from time to time we are challenged, love challenged. So in, beginning in verse 1, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. 
And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she left there her two sons. These two Moabite wives, uh, these took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died. So the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. We're going to begin here this morning. We're going to look at some of the challenges of love. Uh, here, was, here was a family, Elimelech and Naomi. They had a, a, a healthy relationship. It was a, a good relationship. And, uh, and they're trying to live, raise a family, and just like you are today. And so what happened, though, they faced some problems. And the first problem that we see was that they faced problems from sources in our culture. They faced problems from sources in the culture. Um, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, in the days when the judges ruled. Um, This was the time frame. Uh, Judges 21, 25 tells us that in those days, Israel had no king, and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. They did what was right in their own eyes. Now, that's kind of a tragic time, isn't it? A tragic thing because here was God and he had given the nation of Israel everything they needed to succeed. He was their provider. He took care of them. And, and, and in this relationship of this nation and their God was under strain because they had no king, so everybody began to do what was right in their own eyes. Um, the day was not unlike today. It was, uh, it was a world that struggled with moral relativism, uh, with rampant immorality, it was uh, excessive individualism. Um, it was unrestrained self-expression. And so the, there were sayings that would be very similar to what we hear today. If it feels good, you know the rest of that one? If it feels good, do it, right? If it feels good, do it. How about this one? I want to be politically... Ah, that one you knew, right? I want to be politically correct. Why? Because we're so afraid to offend anybody. Because we, in our culture today... As in the culture of that day, the moral absolution was wavering. And people were saying, well, if it feels good, you know, you're okay over here and you're okay as long as we don't offend each other, as long as we don't hurt anybody. But at the end of the day, there is a moral truth. There is an absolute truth. And I'm thankful for that because if we didn't have simple truths like gravity, now imagine, you can deny gravity all that you want, And you can say, I just don't get along with gravity, and I don't whenever I fall, right? Uh, Whenever I fall from a high place, it hurts. Um, When I fall from a small place, it hurts, right? It's pain. Gravity is true. And so the same is true in our life. There There are some moral absolutes. There are some things that God has laid down in his word. And he is the standard. He is the law. But the people that day, for Elimelech and Naomi, they were challenged. It was a challenging time. Uh, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Uh, it, was, it was a day that uh, the people were just kind of doing whatever felt good. And then there was uh, problems from natural forces. They had problems, challenges from natural events in life. Uh, this was just the things that would happen. Uh, Ruth 1.1 says that there was a famine in the land. In those days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Uh, many of the pressures that impact our lives... Uh, in our homes, 
maybe they're not moral or immoral. It's just life. There are things that happen, natural events. They occur because we live in a fallen world, because we live in a sinful world, and they're part of the nature of living. And we can recognize those things because there, there's, there's just events in life that happen. For example, a, a weather event. You know, if a, a, a tornado or a hurricane were to move in, Sad to see a hurricane in western Pennsylvania, wouldn't it? But, you know, we see events of life like that uh, that, that can earth shatter. You know, why did, the, why did that storm rip the shingles off of my roof and not my neighbor's roof, okay? These are just events of life. They're not targeted at you. They're just events of life. How about illnesses? You know, I've seen people that take care of themselves. They, they are, they're healthy. They exercise. They eat right. And then they die early of heart attack or cancer things that just randomly happen. And, uh, and so there's a couple things when we think about problems that come from just being uh, just natural forces here, natural events in life. Number one is they strike indiscriminately. Um, cancer is not a respecter of persons. Neither is uh, job loss. Neither is uh, the weather. Neither are so many things that we deal with in our world. Uh, no one, including believers, is immune from these type of problems. I can't tell you, you know, if you just follow God, that, that uh, you always be healthy. Uh, no, I can't tell you. I can tell you there's some general principles, and, and uh, we can say, hey, there's some, generally, if you're, doing, you're following God, you're going to put yourself in some, in some healthier choices, healthier places, but at the end of the day, these are random things that happen. They strike indiscriminately. And then the, the other thing to know about natural events in life is they occur, and they are beyond our control. They're just beyond our control. Um, here was Elimelech. He was a good man. Uh, and Naomi was a, a, a sweet lady. Uh, God is my king. Elimelech's name means God is my king. And he marries a young lady named Naomi, which means pleasant one. And so here, here's, they had a happy marriage. This was a, a good thing. It was a, a good beginning. So I think many times we ask ourselves this. Why do bad things happen? Do you ever wonder that? You know, do you ever wonder? I think most people do. Why do bad things happen? Sometimes we don't know the answer. Uh, in this situation that was happening, a, a famine was often, God would often allow a famine to come on the nation of Israel because God was known to feed his people. Uh, they were wandering in the desert. He gave them manna from heaven. He provided for them over and over and over. And yet now, here comes a time that they have drifted. They're, it's this moral drift. They're, they're, they're not following God. They're kind of straying from what God wanted for them. And God says, you know what? We'll dry up the food a little bit. We'll get their attention. Uh, because when you're hungry, you tend to seek God. Uh, when, you, when you have this need, you tend to seek God. So he took away something physical from them. But quite often, uh, unless God tells us, we don't necessarily know why. Uh, the, the, as, you look in the, as you look through your life, you can't necessarily pinpoint why there was an illness or a job loss. I've heard people say that to me over and over. You know, God has a reason. God has a reason. And yes, God does. God is in charge. But did God inflict that job loss? I don't know. Did God inflict a, an illness? I don't know. I don't know what God was doing, but I know this, how that I respond to God is what God's trying to always work with me on. Uh, you can't control other things. You can't control other people. But you can control how that you respond to God. And so this morning, we see that, uh, that they also faced um, natural situations, natural things in life, illness job loss, the market crash. And, and apart from, from God being specific, many times 
we can't blame anyone. We don't have an answer. But we do know that God promises to carry you through all those times. And that's, this is where the big challenge comes. Because while God may not have been trying to even do something with me, and it's just this is part of living in a fallen world, God promises to carry me through every pain, through every trial, through every hurt. I have problems from personal choices. They faced problems from personal choices. Look here, Ruth 1.1. In those days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So what happens was he, he gets up and he leaves, and he goes on, and he's, he's trying to provide for his family. Now consider Elimelech's circumstances. He's just trying to feed his family. Uh, there's no food. The economy's bad. It's tough where he's at. So he's going to go out, and he's going to provide for his family, right? So as we come, we come over here, I'd like to just give you a little, little picture of what's happening here. Um, this is the, the Nile River, and that's my version of the Dead Sea, all right? Somebody said I'm pretty good at drawing kidneys. But uh, that's, that's the Dead Sea, all right? And, and the Dead Sea... Here's what happened. The nation of Israel was out in the desert, and they wandered around for 40 years out in the desert. God released them from Egypt, and they wandered around. And if you look on a Bible map, you'll see that they really weren't wandering all that far. Uh, it was, it's almost like they kept coming to the same place twice. Uh, they're out there just roaming around in a the desert. There's millions of people, this nation. And then what happens is God comes over here, and on this side of the Dead Sea is what we know as the promised land, okay? So this was God's promised land. He gave them this land. He said, I am your God, and I will be your provider. So what happened was Elimelech was here. He was living in the promised land. Um, and he makes a decision to come and to leave Israel, to leave what God had for him, and to go over to this area known as Moab. Now, that's not a, a workout plan, okay? It's not, I need Moabs, all right? It's, it's a town, Moab. All right, thank you. I had to release that, right? So, Moab, it's, it's the town, it's, it's an area, this little country, Moab, and it's, it's on this side of the Dead Sea. And so what does he do? Now, remember, when God, God brought the nation of Israel uh, out of their wandering, Moses, Moses gives over the leadership, and uh, Joshua takes and he takes him right through the Nile River. Remember, as God, uh, the Jordan River, the Jordan River. So as he comes over, he puts his foot down, and God stops the water so that the people can come across. And so as they come across the Jordan River, what an awesome thing that God did. And they came in, and they found the land that God gave them. This was their promise of God fulfilled. And so they had the joy. They had the land flung with milk and honey. They had everything that God said that they had been waiting for. And so now they're at this time, and, and it's, it's, they've, they've fallen away from God, and God says, I'm trying to get you. You're going to get hungry so that you'll find me. I'm going to make you hungry so that you'll come back to me. And what does Elimelech do? Elimelech says, well, i got miles to feed. I've got Naomi, my wife, and I've got Malon, and I have Chilion, my two sons. I've got to go where the economy's better. I have to go somewhere where I can make ends meet, where these kids are not going to be starving, where my wife 
where I can provide. And so what he does, he comes down, and so this area over here is Moab. And so he comes from here. Now remember, this was, he had been given everything. The land, it wasn't just some, some, uh, some happenstance that he was there. He was part of the country of Israel. God gave them that. That was their inheritance. It was his inheritance. And what he did was he actually disobeys God. And he comes out, and he comes down into Moab. And he lands in Moab because he heard that there was food over there. And he heard it was much better, and this was a really exciting place to be. And I'll be able to take care of my family physically. And so he disobeys God. Um, he takes the spiritual value and puts the physical values higher than the spiritual values. Think about that. Um, because what happened was in Moab, Moab was, was not a very pretty place. Moab was not the place to raise your kids to love God. Uh, Moab, as a matter of fact, everything about Moab was against God. They had a God over in Moab that they worshipped. They didn't worship the one and true living God. They worshipped a God by the name of Chemosh. And if you want to make Chemosh happy, you sacrifice people. You sacrifice your children before Chemosh, you see? And, and so this is what, what, that's the type of area. So not only was it, did you have that, you had also this, this uh, perversions, that was morality. Everything was so dark. It kind of reminds us a little bit of the world we live in today uh, in a moral, moral way. The, the moral perversions, the moral no standard of who God is. They didn't have a standard of who God is. They had a standard of who Chemosh is. And so as, as they are, they're living in this land, they, they come over and they, they, they plant their feet down there. He positioned his family for greater temptation. He allowed his family to have, have a greater temptation. Judges chapter 2 says, But you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore I will not drive them out before you. But they shall be thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. You see, whenever, whenever the, uh, the nation of Israel would go in and take a land, God said you had to wipe them out because I didn't want any of the influence of the false gods on my people. I don't want any of that influence, so you've got to go home and you've got you to clean this out. And you, you have to clear that land, and then it's yours. So what do they do? They leave the land that was cleared, and they go back over here into Moab, and they say, I got this under control. It's just going to be a few years. It's going to be a few months. I don't know how long we're going to be here, but all I know is there's food over here. And so they went over, and they, he makes a disobedience before God, and he positions his family, and now his family has to deal with the snare of the enemy. His family has to deal with the thorn of this false god. And even though he was well-intended, his disobedience did not alleviate the problem. It aggravated the problem. Elimelech is in the situation where now he's living over there and he has aggravated the problem. And this, this is a good lesson for us about troubles. When troubles come into your life, how do you respond to them? Do you just endure it? And I think, you know, we have three options. You can endure your troubles, you can escape it, or you can enlist it. Um, if we just endure, and I think, you know, you have to endure your, tr your, your troubles, your trials. But if that's all we do, we tend to become bitter. We don't we're, we've, we've kind of messed up what God is looking for. And then how about if I just escape it? You see, Elimelech was escaping what God was trying to do in his life. 
God was trying to make him hungry so that he would find God. And what did Elimelech do? He said, I'm going to escape this, and I'm taking matters into my own hand. After all, I have needs, right? After all, I have needs. And so he went over there, and he met his needs. But uh, you know what? If we will enlist trials, if we will make trials become our servants, enlist them. So when you have a trial in your life, face it. We go through it. We, we go right through the trial. Uh, we go through it with the help of God, with, with his, his, long, his strong, loving hand holding you. And as you go through that trial, now those trials, you're not the, the slave to the trial. The, is your, the trial is your slave. And you are asking, you are saying, God, teach me, grow me, change my life here through this trial. Romans chapter 8 says that all things, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to this purpose. Do you realize what all, when you read the word all in the Bible, I'm going to tell you what it means in Greek. All. Everything. Every bad that you've had in your life in the past, every negative you're dealing with now, and every negative you'll deal with in the future, all. Somebody told me in college, all means all. That's all all means. Everything. God has a plan. He has a purpose in your life. And while he's not inflicting necessarily, while sometimes it's just things that, are, that we deal with from living in a fallen world, all things work together for God's glory. Uh, see, Elimelech had to learn that lesson the hard way. As a matter of fact, uh, just pick up the scripture here in verse 2, um, uh, sorry, verse 3. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was with her two sons. So Elimelech goes out, and not only does he have to deal with all this and, and all the pressure he put on the family, spiritual things that were, were against him, um, now he pays the ultimate price, and he dies. He dies in Moab. Moab represented everything against God. He came out here, and he said, I know, I've got it figured out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of myself. And in route of taking care of himself, he dies. Uh, and then it says, uh, the, his two sons, they, these two, they took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. Orpah and Ruth. Mary, these were, not, these were not people who had a, a basic understanding of God. They had a basic understanding of Chemosh. Uh, they had everything going against them, and they took their wives. Orpah, by the way, that's not Oprah. That's Orpah. And, if you, uh, by, and uh, just as an insignificant note, uh, Oprah, her, her real name on her birth certificate is Orpah. And you can look that up and Google that. But please wait till we're done, all right? So uh, her, on her birth certificate, it was Orpah. And that uh, was named after this lady right here. Orpah, the name of the other was Ruth. Ruth is the central character. And we're going to see, as this love story unfolds, as this love story in the next, there's only four chapters. I encourage you to go home and read it. And just look at the love story that God gives us. Uh, we, we see the flaws in the love, the challenges of love, and we see the redemption in love. And so... So here was Ruth and Orpah now. And they're there, and it says there that they lived there about 10 years. Oh, I'm just going over here to get food. We're going to survive the famine 10 years later. Elimelech's gone. Her two sons are gone. And she now has two daughters-in-law, 
Ruth and Orpah. Verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return. So Naomi gets up and, and goes back with her daughter-in-law to return to the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Think about this. She's out in Moab. She's in the godless place. And somebody, somebody says, hey, the famine's over. You want to go back. Hey, aren't you one of them? Don't you belong to God? Aren't you one of God's chosen people? There's food over there. And she hears the good word. And really, it's not even just food. She makes a decision. Her decision here represents coming back to God. She comes back to God. Verse 7. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two, to two daughters-in-law, Go return, each of you, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept, and they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi says, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? I have yet... Uh, have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, you daughters, uh, my daughters, go back, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. And she goes on and she starts to reason and she gives them the out. She says, listen, you need to go back. Go back. Go back. And this journey had already begun. Uh, th this, this discussion, it says that they had already started. Verse 6, then she arose with her daughters to return to the land, to return, leave Moab. So she starts to make her journey back. And as she starts to make her journey back, this discussion happens, and she says, she's not thinking right. She, she's coming back to God, but she's giving her daughters-in-law, look, I know that you have other things that could be better for you. I know that you want to go back to your family and to everything that you know, so you know, I'll be all right, I'm just going to go. And in, in the meantime... Those two women say, no, we want to come with you. God, the love that we've seen from you, you've, you've impacted our life. And so, so they start to journey back. He, she does it a second time. She says, no, you need to go back. Orpah this time kisses her, and Orpah heads back. Orpah says, okay, I love you, but, and takes off. And isn't that what we do so many times? We come before God, we, we may we may profess him but we don't really possess him we come we say god i love you so much and then i just go out and i do my own thing and i go back and then i come back next sunday and i i kiss him again then i go back out throughout the week and and i'm living in the land of moab but ruth ruth makes a decision and ruth says i will stick with you and look in verse uh, verse 16 but ruth uh just jumping ahead here ruth said do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and where, I, uh, and, and where you will be buried, I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. You see, Ruth, Ruth stuck and came back. And Ruth went out, was, was not even part of the original plan. 
Ruth was, over, was not part of the, of the promised land over here. Ruth was part of the Moab land. Ruth was picked up. The sons picked up some baggage while they were in Moab. They picked up the culture. They picked up the worship of false gods. They picked up some things. And now Elimelech's gone. Malon's gone. Chilion's gone. And on the way back, the one who makes it back is Ruth and Naomi. Now, Naomi must have had a pretty powerful impact on these girls for them not to want to go back. But think about this t this morning with me. This was God's provision over here. This was God, what he had given. This over here was the false God. This was everything that you think you can do. And over here was everything that God has promised and everything that God gives you. And what do we do? We do this. We struggle with this every day, don't we? We want to go back to the land of Moab. We want to go out there and we say, I, listen, I got this under control. It's just for a short time. In the meantime, what happens? We end up living there. We end up living there. When you go to Moab, let me tell you what happens. When you go to Moab, a little bit of Moab moves in on you. When you move into Moab, a little bit of Moab moves in on you. In other words, when we make this decision that what God has given me is I, I need to take matters into my own hands and I go out there, sometimes a little bit of Moab moves in on me. And let me just say this. I'd rather have an empty stomach and a full heart living with God's promises than to have a full stomach and an empty heart out here. And I want to encourage every one of us today because this is the struggle. This is where we're at all the time. We, we face this every day. You know, how about, let's look at something that's just so, seems so positive, like a job promotion. And you thought this job promotion was really good. So you say, okay, I'm going out here because it looks good. I'm going to make 10 grand more a year. And I go out here and I walk out there. And as you get out there, they say, yeah, it's good. We'll give you this 10,000 more a year. But you're going to be gone all Sunday. You'll never be able to go Sundays. You'll never be able to connect. You're going to work night and day. And you say, but you know what? It'll be all right. I'll listen. I'll listen on the radio. There's good preachers on the radio. I'll turn on TV and I'll grab those good preachers on TV, right? Well, be careful of that, all right? Just be careful, all right? Uh, I'll do that. And guess what we did? We traded off what God had for you for $10,000. I traded off what God had for me. I traded off God's awesome promises for something that just looked so good. It looked like this was, to, it was meant to be. I hear people tell me that all the time. It was meant to be. And in the meantime, maybe it really wasn't meant to be because we lowered what was important for what is not important. Um, I'd rather have my stomach empty and my heart full in God's country than to have a heart that's empty and a stomach that's full in Moab. Here's what happens when, when you go to Moab. When you go to Moab, it takes you further than we want to go. We stay longer than we want to stay, and it costs us more than we want to pay. You got that? When you go to Moab, when you take this step in your life, guess what happens? It takes you further than you want to go. You stay longer than you want to stay. I would say that Elimelech and Naomi had no intention of being there 10 years. They had no intentions of, of their sons marrying 
people that didn't have any concept of God. They, they had no, there was no, that was not part of the program. They were going to feed their family. And it sounded oh so good, didn't it? But yet, as they went over there to feed their family, they paid the price. And the price was more than they wanted to pay. Elimelech dies over here. He traded what was most important. And in that, mo- in, in that area, he dies over there. His sons, Malon and Chilion, not only do, do they take wives of the land, not only do they assume the culture, but now they're dead. And here's Naomi. What does she have left? She has two daughters-in-law. She makes the journey back. So my encouragement to you is this. There's a couple thoughts here as we close. Number one, don't go to Moab. You don't want to do it. I've heard this over and over. But I thought it looked so good. Let me tell you, it always looks good. Let's go back to the love and dating Love and marriage. Love and parenting. You got a husband. Women, you have a husband. Men, you have a wife. That's what God gave you. You're here in the promised land. God's provided this. You start being a little too friendly. You start to open up. You start to send texts. You start to Facebook message. And you start to have this thing happen. And guess what happens? It looks so good. And you don't guard your heart anymore. Men, women, we need to guard our hearts because of this. Because you realize that your spouse is what God gave you? God gave you that spouse. Uh, how about if you're, you're dating, you're single, you're dating? Uh, l- listen, many times people have come to me and said, but he was such a good-looking guy. Girls always talk like that, right? Or how about, how about the, you know, the men are always saying that too. She was just so beautiful. But she was in Moab. She was in Moab. And then they come back five years later and say, oh, man, this has been hard living in Moab. And I'm like, well, we're going to help you. Because here's, here's, here's the redemption here. The book of Ruth is about God's redemption. It's about the ultimate love of God for you. The ultimate love. Because Ruth comes back, and we'll see how the God redeems her and gives her a kinsman redeemer. And we'll talk more about that next week. But here's what happens. When we come back, sometimes on our journey back, we think that God doesn't want us because I have baggage. Because I started to worship Chemosh while I was out there. Because I started to do these other things. And guess what? God says, I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting for you. I have my arms wide open. I am waiting for you. I want you to come back and enjoy the promises because even while you were in Moab, God loves you so much that he didn't disown you. He loves you so much that while you were in pain, while you were in torture, and even some of it, you you made a personal choice that was bad, guess what? God says, I love you with an everlasting love. I love you with no strings attached. You cannot lose my love what do we lose when we go out to moab we lose our joy we lose our fulfillment oh it may seem full out there give it some time it'll become empty you'll see it when we come back to here this is where our fulfillment comes and there are dark days there are dark days there are days of famine but god 
is the one in charge. And God says, look, you'll just come back to me. Just come back to me. Uh, uh, Psalm 37, verse 23, says that the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their life. That's what I want in my life. And there are times that we make decisions that are poor. And they're all good. Sometimes we make decisions that were, that were not good, but at the moment it felt so good. It was like, yeah, I think this is the right thing to do. And let me tell you, maybe you picked up something while you were in Moab. God says, I'm still going to redeem that. Because what's really exciting is that Ruth, Ruth was not part of the original plan. Ruth wasn't, if they would have been over in here, if they would have stayed here, even in their mistake, God brings Ruth into the picture. And if you go over to Matthew chapter 1, Ruth is one of the three women mentioned in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Now you want to talk about God's love, his unconditional redemption for you. Wow. Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I want to ask you this morning, maybe you've been out in Moab. You've been stranded out there and you didn't even realize how you got there. God has unconditional love and he's, he's waiting. He, he, he's on, he's over there in the promised land. He says, look, I've got it all here for you. Just, just come home. Just come back. And, and even while you were out there, you thought you were alone. God's presence was upon you. He says, come back. I've got the plan. Follow my plan. Jump back in here. I'll help you in your dating relationship. I'll help you in your marriage. I'll help you in raising your family. But you've got to trust me. You've got to trust me when it looks like everything is going wrong. You've got to trust me when it looks like there's no food. You've got to trust me. Because I love you. This morning, if you're here and you've not opened your heart to Christ, I, I'd like to encourage you to do that this morning, to open your heart to Jesus. Invite him in today. And you can do that very simple. Just pray a prayer something like this. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. You died on the cross and you came back to life again for me. And I invite you in right now. And for others in this room this morning, maybe... Maybe you've been dealing with some, some areas in your life. You might have been living out in Moab. You've walked away from God, and well, maybe you're coming in and kissing Him on Sunday, but heading back out there throughout the week. May I encourage you, come back to the promised land. It's more than what happens on Sunday. It's about what's happening in your heart today, tomorrow, every moment, every hour. God says, just, just come back and trust me. I've got the plan for you. There may be days that you really, really don't want to follow my plan, but come on back because I love you. My arms are wide open. What would your life look like this morning if you responded to that kind of love? Father God, I pray you'll be with each one in this room, Lord, as we respond and we realize that even in our mistakes, Lord, we beat ourselves up so much for our mistakes, but you don't you love us and you've got the promises waiting there for us in your name we pray amen we stand together as we close our service we sing our closing song if you'd like to come and kneel feel free to do so
inside You wanna be someone You're laying down your pride You wanna be someone someday Then lay it all down before the King Oh yeah You wanna be whole You wanna have purpose inside wanna have virtue and purify your mind you wanna be set free today then lay it all down before the